On today's episode 18, I'm joined by internationally acclaimed commercial photographer Gregor Halenda, Hasselblad master and award-winning photographer whose client lists include everyone from Oprah, BMW, Coca-Cola, Prada, Time Magazine, Popular Science, American Express, and many others. Currently, Gregor splits his time between photography and his other passion, motorcycles. Riding them, building them, photographing them, planning epic adventure rides, etc. You get the idea. What you might not know is that he's super passionate about bread and pizza and fermentation and coffee and grilling meat and really any cooking project that requires time and patience to perfect. Throw in some finely crafted tools and slow food methods and he's one happy camper. Hey, Gregor. Nice to have you on the show. It's really exciting to be here, even though I'm in a different room. <laughs> That's true. How um, I'm in the upstairs, you're in the downstairs. We're going to pretend that we are in two different places. <laughs> Just to make the podcast feel real. Right. For those who don't know, I feel like we should probably introduce how we actually know each other. <laughs> okay. I'll let you answer that question. Um, we uh, share the parenting of children. <laughs> that that is be... true. That is true. Yes. So I live with Gregor. Gregor and I, we have been together for as long as our children have been alive. and um, 12 years. Yes. Um, so I think it'd be fun for people, you know, because I get asked this question all the time. Hey, when's Gregor going to be on the podcast? Blah, blah, blah. And I would say, well, as soon as you got something interesting to say. But you actually, today's actually an in interesting day for you. Um, what happened today? Well, I, I got up and I had a really good cup of no, coffee. No, no, skip ahead, skip oh, ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so today is sort of the official launch of uh, the next phase of my motorcycle career, which is um, launching a company um, that I've sort of dreamed of for a long time, which is um, to build motorcycles. But in the past year, I sort of came around to the idea of doing motorcycle tours because I've, I've loved taking people on trips and I've done it a lot in terms of being paid in certain different organizations, but, um, it, it felt like I could do something that other people hadn't done. So, yeah. yeah. So people were listening and thinking like, what does motorcycles have to do with food people? Right. <laughs> we eat. Well, I know. Well, I, I think that um, when you take a trip, when you go on any adventure or any travels, you know, we're both we both love to travel, that some of the some of the most favorite memories for me anyway, are the things I eat along the way and not just like restaurant food, but like the ingredients I encounter or like the produce or just the whole experience, like, you know, where I ate it, how it was like how it was prepared. That for me is kind of the way that I travel, you know, through the lens of food. And so um, I know that a lot of people are really excited to uh, hear about these tours that you're doing because they follow you on your various social channels. And, you know, you've become they have quite this for pizza. <laughs> yeah, pizza, sourdough, grilling, coffee talk, you know, all that kind of stuff. So will that be happening on these tours? Yeah, I I mean, to me, and I think this is something you and I share, which is that um, food um, 
can always be made well. It doesn't have to be fancy to be made well. And I think if you've ever done any sort of trips, um, I, I think a lot of people sort of phone it in and you get people who are rafting guides and they, you know, are tasked with preparing the food on a, on a rafting trip. And, you know, they're, they're barely guides and they're certainly not cooks. And <laughs> so I think that, you know, even when I was a little kid, whenever we would take camping trips, we never ate freeze-dried food. We would always plan the meals out and we would eat well, you know, we'd freeze the steaks and then the steaks would keep the other ingredients cold until the next night when they thawed. I mean, we would always eat well as as a kid. And, and I learned a lot, obviously, from you about being able to prepare simple food well. It's I think it's more important to prepare food thoughtfully and carefully than it is to try and be fancy and miss the mark. And I guess that's sort of, for me, something I've done on all of my trips is I, you know, if I'm going to eat out, I'm going to seek out unusual places, always local places. I mean, oh, my I dad... know. We, we, it just so everyone knows when we travel, like we are never allowed to eat in any chains. We cannot stay at any chains. <laughs> so sometimes that's the, the food that's is our desperate, mantra. you know, it's, but... Two lanes, no chains. That's that's how <laughs> we lanes, travel. Two lanes, no chains. Yes, we stay off the freeways as much as possible. But what you encounter are these really lovely, like mom and pop places. These kind of, you know, these local, you know, local eating holes, and you know, they may have a very limited menu, but it's all done with uh, thought and care. And like you said, totally not fancy, but you know, made from made. It's like honest. Yeah, honest food made by real people. So is that kind of your goal of, you know? Yeah, I mean, sure. think back to the first trip that we ever took together. So the first time, that the second time, first time Judian was on a motorcycle, we rode across the East Village. The second time that Judian <laughs> was on a motorcycle, we rode from Colorado all the way back to New York City. So that was a really big trip. And it was an amazing trip because we we had two goals. I, we went to the Southern route of, um, of the United States. And my goal was to hit as many barbecue places as possible. And Judean's goal was to hit as many homemade pie places as possible. Right. So we basically <laughs> alternated barbecue pie, barbecue pie, barbecue pie for about 2,500 miles. And it was an amazing right. trip. On the so I was riding on the back of uh, Gregor's motorcycle, just so you know that I was not riding my own, and it was great. And how'd I do? How'd I do? You know, you, you were an excellent passenger, and we rescued <laughs> many turtles in Arkansas. We did, we did. Every time we would um, we would ride on these little country roads, and um, Gregor would stop and he'd point, and lo and behold, there'd be this little bump in the road. <laughs> he'd pull over. I jump off the bike, and then we. Save the turtle, let it cross the street. I mean, that was we, we so. And I thought, what are all these turtles doing? And so many turtles. Like I went my entire life with like seeing like I don't know three turtles, and then suddenly on this like stretch of road, like, like to 50. encounter. I know. Crazy. So and and that and um, I told this story before on a different podcast about you know wanting people would I'd see a big sign that would say homemade pie right, and then I'd say um, can I can I see the pie? 
And they'd be like, you want, you want to see, you want to see the pie? And I'd be like, yeah, can I just take a peek, you know? But what I was looking for. I remember you used to actually have the waitress come over and you're just like, are they real blueberries? Like, did they come out of a can? Be honest with me. I mean, I just wanted to know for, and I wasn't going to judge. I probably would have still ordered the pie, but I just want to know if it was like a homemade crust or if it was, you know, because it said homemade pie, if you're going to advertise homemade, you know, and you can tell if you're a pie maker, you can tell a homemade pie immediately. But yeah, that was the, that was um, a big goal, I think, finding great pie on that trip. So I took pictures of uh, the food I ate on that trip, you know, and then I, that was, that was that. And then the second trip that we took actually on motorcycle was um, the TransLab Highway, which oh, yeah. if you guys... Um, any moto people out there know about this? How would you describe this? A really, really long dirt road through the northern parts of uh, Canada. And it is Labrador. And... Yeah, Labrador, Quebec, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland. Um, and it was it was a um, it was an amazing trip filled with gravel and poutine, not together. <laughs> Yeah, la yeah, it was a lot of desolate, but we encountered some really good food on that trip. I remember we had. Amazing do you remember food. that? Remember that local who gave us a caribou yeah. can? What was it? He had he had jarred up himself, yeah. you know, preserved, Home preserved caribou, caribou stew or caribou, and then we turned it into a caribou stew, and we did like an impromptu video cooking show about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and my mic didn't work. I was really careful tonight to make sure that that didn't. Oh yeah. Tonight. Oh, I know that would have been such good footage. Anyway, that stuff like that. Like I remember on that trip, like we encountered some uh, berries that I had never had before. Remember those kids were selling the the Ziploc bags that were like ten dollars for like a bag of berries, and I was like, dang, what are these so expensive? But then I found out like especially how they, up there. Well, and they how they had to harvest it. They had to get in like a canoe. And like, what were they? Huckleberries, or they were no, something else? No, I still don't even know what they were. They were like a, I mean, I've never seen a berry like that to this day. It looked almost like a golden raspberry, but it was not a raspberry. I mean, it grew in these like boggy water, like it was a bush off the water. Because they said they get in the canoe and they would uh, raft, they would go down the river, and that was the only way that you could access them was by canoe. And so it was a lot of labor. And it was really hard to fill up a Ziploc bag. And, and they were like almost, emo almost immediately they would kind of fall apart. And so you ate it out of the Ziploc bag with a plastic spoon. They would give you a spoon. Do you remember this? No. Wow. I don't remember that. Yeah. It left an impression on me. I I've Clearly. Canadians. What berry was that? Because I've never had anything like it. It was just incredible. But yeah, it was like eating some berry uh, like pudding. <laughs> See, you, you remember the berries and I remember when we finally saw an iceberg and that family took us out on the fishing boat oh, and yeah. then they brought us back to their restaurant and then they gave us vodka made with icebergs served mm -hmm. on the rocks over iceberg that they had chipped off when we went out onto the boat and it was like the clearest ice I'd ever seen. Dave Arnold could not make better ice <laughs> than this 10,000-year-old. Well, well, maybe he could. <laughs> no. Dave, oh, I'm yeah. calling you that out. Was, yeah, that was incredible. That was a really fun trip. And um, yeah, I mean, so that I mean, we just, us talking about it, like that trip was solidified by food. And so what are you planning? So your your service that you're offering, it's like a full, inclusive, guided 
moto adventure yeah off the dirt off the beaten path kind of thing in eastern oregon right multi-day trip yeah i mean i from planning out that trip that we did so many years ago so clearly 12 years ago um because you were actually pregnant on that trip with Nadia. Yeah, I'd like to get some props for that. I was yes. five months pregnant, rode 19 no, days no, on the four, back of a gravel yeah, miles. dirt bike. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so from that trip, we we ate well. Like, remember the 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 time that we ended up and we, we were up in Newfoundland and we were looking for a campsite and somebody told us that the parks, they couldn't keep them open so that we could go to the park. And we found this unbelievable campsite. And then we went back into town. And that was, I think, one of your superpowers is that no matter what is available, you can make an amazing meal out of anything that you can find. And I think that's your game. Like whatever is in the pantry, you can make an, and it's true. It's true. It's your superpower. It's unbelievable. And we've got these vegetables from this, you know, basically a convenience store on the edge of Newfoundland, there was like literally nothing. There was like one piece of meat left, a handful of vegetables. And we ate like kings on the edge of this cliff with the sun setting and it was spectacular. And it's like, if you had surrendered that to, you know, a bag of dehydrated camping food from, you know, REI, like, wow, what a disappointment. What a missed opportunity. I think that yeah. preparing the food is an important part. And so, you know, the handful it's also of party the reward tricks. after a day. I mean, I remember each day being such a physical um, exertion, kind of like you, you know, even because yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it's like you're you're out in the elements all day, and what you what do you have to look forward to? Like you that that hot meal, you know, that <laughs> real food is like that's what I look forward to every day. Well, that's the thing. The camping. Yeah. When you're camping, all the food tastes better. So it's just like if I'm taking people on a trip, I can kind of gauge like how good is the meal going to be? And if it's not going to be that good, I'll make them really suffer during some like <laughs> off-road stuff. And that right. way I will it's be extra good. <laughs> yeah, It's going to taste really good because hey, you I had a really hard time. You I, I didn't break a bone. Now I can eat my steak. <laughs> right. So the days that are easy, we got to kick the food up. But no, it's about, you know, it's about planning that out. And I think you know i think obviously the pizza thing has been this huge thing for me like i've been making pizza every friday for i don't know eight years or so but i you know to people know me for making pizza for fussing with the recipes and figuring this out and you know of course i'm gonna make pizza while we're on our trip so you're gonna strap the the gosney on the back of the motorcycle is that right lara is going to be driving a four-wheel drive van Lara is uh, Gregor's sister, my sister-in-law. She will be what the follow vehicle in the adventure van. Yeah, she's the sag wagon. Yeah, so she'll carry all the supplies, but you're still doing the cooking. Yes. I saw in an article today you had a nice uh, write-up. Um, what was that? What oh, publication was that? Yeah. Vicarious magazine. And they referred to Gregor as a chef. <laughs> I, was, I, I got I a nice giggle out of that. I, I know the technical difference between chef and cook, and I am not a chef. I have had no, no training. Gregor is a camp cook. He's yes. like that. He's like the one-eyed camp cook at the um, on the OK Corral, but <laughs> tasty. Wait, wait, why'd you downgrade me to one eye? I mean, 
I need every help I can get. Seriously. That's true. That's one true. eye. Like, where did that come That's from? That's true. I don't know. But you, but that you'll be cooking. So don't you think you're going to be exhausted after all that just to then have to cook too? Because you're guiding the trip. Plus, you're yeah. obviously you've planned I, it and all that. I am clearly an idiot. I know I cannot <laughs> say no to a challenge. I absolutely have to do all of it. I mean, in a way, it's like if somebody is coming on this trip and they're paying the money, it's just like, I think if people have You know, they want me, the full Gregor Hunlenda treatment. They, they do. And I mean, I've been a person that's been on forums and blogs and has like not the crazy social media following that maybe you do, but there's a lot of people <laughs> that have followed me along the way. And I think that I have this reputation for diving down the rabbit holes, figuring something out, and, and then really trying to perfect it. And I I make a point, I am not good at a lot of things, but when I decide that I want to get good at something, then I really focus. And Yeah, you have a limited repertoire, but your repertoire is very it's precise. Like you yes. got, you got your, you know, I don't know, six things down. <laughs> I, I would do a pizza throwdown with Ken Forkish. I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh, Ken, no. I, I got your number. <laughs> Ken's the one who taught you how to make pizza. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is true. This you, is going to be everything. This is going to be the student deflowering. No, de no deflowering. No oh way. my God, dethroning. No way. No way. <laughs> no, but, of course but not. But it's true. Gregor makes amazing pizza. Um, we, I'm sure you, anybody who's followed my feed has seen the pizza coverage. I stopped covering it because it was just like pizza, pizza, pizza. But. Um, we have pizza every Friday. It's really good. And we even do different styles. But I, you know, I, people's always comment about it. And I'm like, I take zero credit. I mean, I take, my job is to shop for the ingredients, make sure they're in the house and to do the prep. So I slice the, the toppings or get them ready or something like that. But Gregor does all the work and he, and especially the dough, because the dough is like, I see a lot of people, they always think it's the oven. I mean, it does make a big deal. I noticed your pizza game went up, uh, significantly once you got a new a pizza dedicated pizza oven because we were doing it in the, in the home oven for a while did it to the then migrated to the big green egg um did a few different iterations and then got the gosney right and then it really yeah. was a life changer and and also i mean i i kid about ken ken you're my idol i i adore he you is. and he it's um it's i think that i have tried making bread a lot and i had never really found I never found it to be comfortable. It was always very foreign until I got Ken's book. And I had no idea that he was local. I was just at, you know, the bookstore reading through and I found his book and I was just like, wait, this is not mysterious. This is explaining it in a really basic way that um, allows you to start simply and then expand as you get better. And so, Ken, thank you. You've changed my life. I have... <laughs> No, I mean, seriously, I've been doing sourdough for eight years and it's like, I, it's second nature Our children to me. will not eat like bad bread now. They only eat like artisan bread because that's what they is, grew up on. The thing I am most happy about is the fact that like my kids don't want wonder bread. And that's what I grew up as like, we, we had bread, but it was always this whole wheat. And I, as a kid, I, it didn't seem special. And like Wonder Bread seemed like a, a cool thing because it was such a novelty. But um, yeah, our kids do uh, <laughs> love bread. And they, they, you know, they beg me to make the rosemary garlic sourdough or, you know, Nadia loves a really hearty wheat bread. And so uh, having done it for so long. I love pizza. They would eat oh, pizza wow. like 
seven days a week if we let them. <laughs> but I but they're very funny because they only like week. good pizza. Like when we go on road trips, like I have to find that wood fired pizza. <laughs> Lucas know? is Lucas is the harshest pizza critic I think I have ever known. I oh yeah. He is incredible and like Nadia as well. They both they will dissect the crust. They will dissect the crumb, the, you know, the toppings, like how much. They do the rating puff. scale based on how close it is to daddy's pizza is what they say. It's I am like, so happy. We we were just recently in um, Astoria and we had pizza at Fort George Brewery, which, you know, they're kind of, they do a real wood fired pizza. I did my pizza research because I knew I'd had to find them pizza. And I, you know, I thought, well, this is the closest thing to Gregor's pizza. And they they got it. And Lucas opens up the box and he nods his head and goes, okay, okay. This looks pretty good. This looks kind of like daddy's pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's really sweet. But they they love pizza. Yeah. So you're going to be baking pizza on the trip. That's yep. so, you know, <laughs> Lara's going to be traveling with like dough balls. Is that right? You know, honestly, I, I want to do the pizza the night that we're on the desert. And the problem is, is that that's five days into the trip. And there's just, there's no way I can do so a you're gonna slow stop, ferment. Uh, you're just going to stop on the side of the road, roll your little dough balls, and then put them in the so, van. No, seriously, I actually, because I know the timing, it's just like I've decided on a recipe and I'm going to ask that um, John, who's at the French Glen Hotel where we're staying the night before, I'm going to ask if I can borrow his kitchen and I will make the dough that night. Uh, and I'm yeah. going to have to use a little bit of yeast because, you know, I'm only going to have 24 hours. So I'm going to plan it out for the temperature that I can get in the cooler. <laughs> I'll do a cold rise. I'll get it 24 hours. It'll be solid. It's going to be good. But then you we can, can do pizza. it. You can do it. Totally. We can have pizza on the playa of the Alvor Desert. And I think that in terms of like the peak of the trip, that will be it. Like to, to have on pizza on a dry lake bed in the middle of Eastern Oregon with the Steen Mountain behind. It's it's going to be absolutely. And we'll be able to go to the hot spring after. So like, I, I mean, little basically i think the thing and it's the same way i approach everything it's just like if you can get all of the details right then you're going to have this amazing thing you almost don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out if you just make sure all the details are right and so yeah that's i i am sweating yeah. every detail of this trip to make sure that it's taken care of and then also to allow a little spontaneity well, you should let me look at your packing list because, you know, I am very good packer. I do a pack for every single trip, every single camping trip. <laughs> I, I, I've seen how you pack and we're on motorcycles. We cannot take that much stuff. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> that I'm is a so very true. lean packer. <laughs> oh, my God. Very, the well, only yeah. reason why I, I pack a lot of stuff college. is for the children. I moved from Colorado to New York with less things than we take with the kids on a weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that's that's because of the kids, not because of me. Like, Gregor and actually, we have a joke because we, you know, when we pack our stuff, we pack our clothes and we pack like, you know, like everybody else, we pack a few outfits and change of clothes and more like that. And it just goes with us. And we end up wearing the same one or two things the whole trip. <laughs> really I, it's almost like a joke because I pack the clothes, but basically whatever I leave in a camping trip, whatever clothes I leave the house in, I will be in for the entire weekend. I, <laughs> it's camping. I I, nobody's judging. 
I know it's true, but I'm sure some of you have seen that we do take the pizza oven camping and you can do it and it's fun and it works out. And I was skeptical. It seemed kind of crazy. Like it, the dough goes in its own little pizza cooler and you know, then, so let's talk about those pizza ovens because I see so many people getting them. And I, you know, I think between you and I, we probably sold um, oh at God. least Hundreds. a dozen pizza ovens from just recommendations of saying, yeah, it's great. So we, you know, pizza's cooking like one to two minutes. It's, you know, but um, it's between the two, right? The Gosney and what's the other the, one? The no. Uni and the Gosney. And I, yeah. I mean, they're both really good. I personally, I just did a bunch of research. And to me, the, the way something is physically made, um, the Gosney is probably twice as heavy as the the uni. There's a lot of variations out there and there's dozens of different kinds, but I think between those two and they're both around 500 bucks, I, the Gosney for me was, it's it, the disadvantage is it's a slightly smaller pizza, about 12 inches. But if you're just getting into pizza, you know, big doughs are really hard to do on, a, on several different levels in terms of like tossing, stretching, getting them to go off of the peel easily. But uh, the Gosney has been amazing. I mean, everybody know you notice the difference instantly. I mean, it's a big yeah. difference. When you well, get that was... temperature, you can change your hydration significantly. Yeah, I mean, they cook so fast and there are smaller pizzas, but I mean, you basically can just crank them out. So we just make multiple pizzas back to back and then you can also customize them too. It's not like it's not like a giant, like, uh, you know, round table pizza where your one pizza feeds like 12 people. I mean, it's like, you know, but we've, you know, yeah, we've had pizza you can do the pizzas as fast as like 90 seconds. I personally prefer something a little higher hydration. I like around 65 to 66. And that gives me about a three to three and a half minute pizza. So it's a little bit more delicate and a little bit more crispy. And that's kind of like where I've honed in on exactly where I want to be on the pizza game. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand any of that stuff. So for the pizza nerds out there, you got any uh, pizza tips for them? The, and the pizza you talk? You're a baker. Yeah, but you know, I that's why I, I don't bake anymore. I did the I did the baking, and it's like too much. I don't like um. I you don't, don't like, like slow uh, foods. Oh, I don't. You know, you don't I like, really don't. You don't like. I don't fermentation. like. You do all the fermentation. You do yeah. all the anything like you know with like live cultures and. I just, I just, I want to, I want the result. I mean, we talk about this all the time, how you love a good project. So if there's anything that's cooking, that's a project kind of deal, like it's all you because A, I know that I could do it. You know, it's not like a lack of ability. You know, I could do it. I just don't have the time. I don't have the will. I don't have nothing to prove, you know, I just mm. want the result. I'm just playing the long game. I feel like it's like, and honestly, that's the thing I think most people misunderstand about baking like breads and pizzas and stuff is it's like when they hear it's like my dough is 48 hours I, it's not like you're sweating 48 hours straight on this dough it's like literally two minutes to mix the dough 20 minutes you let it hydrate you knead it you put it into a cold ferment the next morning you split them it's just like it's literally 20 minutes of actual work but you just do it in five minute bursts and so to me at least things like pickling and the bread and the pizza it's very little work and i just you know spread it out over a certain amount of time and and i don't mind that that time in between because i'm older and more patient that <laughs> you're older definitely i don't know what patient but um i i like to see the results and like and i want to see them quickly so like you'll make um like for example you make a sauerkraut <laughs> 
It's like oh, a process, right? And kimchi. Yeah, you know, so you're the Korean. I'm making the kimchi. That's right, the my white mom, guy. My mom, by the way, she brought you um, more ingredients for your kimchi. She brought you a whole load of pre pre ground garlic. So your you mom said I made the best kimchi made by a white person she's ever wow. had. Well, that's a lot of she. She does like to flatter you, but. I mean, it's good. It's good kimchi. I don't really like kimchi that much, so I don't really eat it. So you make the kimchi and you eat the kimchi in the house. So. See, the crazy thing to me is it's like I want the kimchi to be really fermented and super pungent. And then right. like your sister, they all eat this quick kimchi, which doesn't have as much flavor. And it's just strange to me that... Like to me, the beauty no, it's got of kimchi tons of flavor. It just doesn't have that funk. Like you like that funky, almost yeah. like in Korea. <laughs> in Korea, like what they well, people have kimchi at di different um, ages, kind of, and so you save the funky stuff for like stews and braises and things like that. But the stuff that you eat daily is more like the fresh stuff, like like a salad, almost like. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know. So you, have, you use your old kimchi to make like kimchi fried rice or, you know, that kind of stuff. But to, you to just me, like kimchi is like a condom and it's as close. Like it's basically like a salsa. It's like I want it to be really intense. Yeah. Crazy spicy. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Gregor likes everything really hot. So let's talk about Mexican food. Like, um. I oh, think this is only an hour show. Oh, I well, <laughs> yeah, like I, I joke. I saw you know people. You know, you're, is Gregor a foodie or is a food person? It all depends. Like this is part of the reason why I do the show is because there's I'm many not. different definitions. There's people who like go to restaurants who love like fancy food. There's people who cook. Who's people who don't cook? But you know, I would consider you a food person because of your dedication to Taco de Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> explain to people how many years you've been going to this one mexican restaurant in denver colorado since i was i think a sophomore in college and oh, what is that like 80 that would 30, have been five. 85 and I, yeah. that just the math is way too hard there because there's going to be having to <laughs> carry ones or something so and i've eaten there and i have to say it is very good but what is it for those uh, people who are passing through Denver, um, what should they order and why? At, um, the burritos. The burritos are what they're known for. Um, personally, it's either the carnitas or uh, the chili relleno. And, and they're smothered. And they have to get them smothered with the cheese. And it's smothered in this incredibly like loose, thin green chili sort of a sauce that has so much flavor and i've i've literally i've spent my entire life trying to figure out how to make that like making green chili like adding different chicken broths and like it's like the ramen project with lucas and it's i i, I even asked you once to to help me dissect mm. that because i was so concerned not living in colorado that i, I wouldn't be able to <laughs> I've never gotten it right. Like it's, I always joke, if Gregor is within 500 miles of this uh, Mexican that's, that's restaurant, that's the right distance. Yes, he will travel and go out of his way. I remember even most recently during your last trip, like you were, you had to get, you had to go there and back in a very short time frame because you had to yeah. get back, and it was a, it was between visiting your mom or going to Taco de Mexico. And I was like, you need to make time for both. Well, actually I said, you need to make time for your mom. But you, right. but you, I know you, I know you ate a Taco de Mexico. I, I'm sorry, mom came second. There was no way I was gonna miss Taco de Mexico. <laughs> you had tacos first. I mean, you had the burrito Absolutely. first. 
I wasn't going to drive 200 miles to see my mom and then back 200 miles. <laughs> and that like, was uh, the last time that we were all there as a family. You had made a bet with Lucas. Lucas is our boy. He's uh, 10 years old now, but he was like, a few years younger then. What was the bet that you made with Lucas then? That by he the doesn't time, like Mexican He doesn't food. like Mexican food. And I said that by the time you're 18, you will love Mexican food. I, I mean... I feel come, bad come. taking the money Over from him water. like that because there's nobody who's going to make it to 18 and not like Mexican food. That's just never going to. So I prayed on his naivety and I, you know, yeah, I'm taking a hundred bucks him how from much? Lucas. A hundred bucks. A hundred bucks. So far, he has not caved. <laughs> he will tolerate fajitas. That's kind of where he's at right now. I don't think that's really Mexican food because he, it's basically the grilled oh, chicken heck, yeah. on the tortilla. That's it. No veggies. Uh, that <laughs> he likes that he loves vegetables, but none he doesn't want them any spiced and any Mexican spices. Well, I will say though that I have been like secretly salsa. working with the children to raise their spice tolerance and they have surpassed you now in their ability to handle <laughs> hot salsas. And it's something I'm very proud of because right. now the kids are like, Oh, this, oh, this is, way is way hotter, hotter than mom could handle. I know. You guys are you guys are ganging up on me because um, I feel like you guys are wanna eat Mexican food. You're you're basically plotting the children so that it's, it'll be three against one for Mexican food or pizza every night. <laughs> that would be good. Actually, that was one of my first memories of like when I first met your family that we grilled uh, the Korean grill. And I remember that they were putting jalapenos down on the grill, grilling them. And I felt like it was some sort of a, a thing where I had to prove myself in terms of like, <laughs> do you like hot food? And I was like, oh yeah, I like hot food, bring it on. And so it was like your, your brother-in-law and Justin, and we were just eating jalapenos right off the grill one after another. <laughs> And I remember like there, at some point we were all just like sweating <laughs> and they were like, okay, okay. That's pretty cool. All right. He can hold his own. All right. He can hang around. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you got to be able to eat in our family. Otherwise, you know, they, it doesn't matter really. You just have to have some amount of decent taste, but I think that you did credit, you get good credit because you, um, cook all the kaibi in the house. So, you know, this is the yeah. Korean beef short ribs on the grill. You do all the grilling. So my sister, she she has perfected this marinade. If you guys have not made it yet, find it's it. Amazing. It's, it's really awesome. But a lot of the execution of it comes down to the actual grilling because it's a little tricky. So yeah. when people are grilling kaibi, kaibi um, what are some tips that you can give them? Because I don't, I actually don't even grill it. You do all the grilling. It's a weird, it, you know, we were talking about that today at the studio, just like I, I somehow the, the motorcycle trip thing that I'm about to do, I realized like my first three jobs was I was like a photographer when I was 12 and then I worked in a gas station. So like around vehicles and then literally the first job I had that wasn't somehow family related was cooking steaks at this ski area, Conquistador Ski Resort in Colorado. And I had absolutely no business cooking steaks. I was like 16 years old or 17 years old, but Can somehow, a steak. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it was really nice being part of the kitchen because then we were always getting to eat. But um, yeah, the, the person who ran the restaurant, you know, knew my dad and um, somehow trusted me with this. And I don't know how in the world I got the job, but I learned. And so, yeah, it's kind of ironic that it's like, I cannot cook in some larger sense of the word but i am good at a handful of things and so bread and pizza and somehow 
grilling grilling. meat, grilling meat, you're, you got it. So it's not, it's the Calbee, but it's also like, you know, I, I do the steak Eisenhower, which is one of the things we're going to do on the trip, but yeah. So, okay. So tips for Calbee, and this is coming from just my personal experience and I have no absolute knowledge to back any of this up but um we i personally will we use a big green egg i get the flames really really hot and then i always even salt and pepper um the calbee even if it's been in the marinade i i just never feel like there's enough of that and and then something i learned from you it's just uh, people don't season their meats when they grill it uh, makes me crazy anyway we we, People don't season their food enough in general. Oh, <laughs> Most of the so food true. I eat is like under seasoned or not seasoned to the right level, either over seasoned, under seasoned. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So we throw it down on a super hot grill and I actually close the lid so that I'm trapping a lot of the heat in there because I'm trying to raise the temperature inside the grill and that helps to render the fat. It helps to soften it by just creating a really hot environment, but most of the heat's from the bottom. So it's getting the char. I keep the vents open to try and, you know, get the 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 flame going. Um, and then I just give it a few minutes. I don't even know. I mean, it's such a weird thing, but I would say probably four minutes aside. You, do by, you know, you do it by color and you also, you know, just by appearances, you can see when it starts to render and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's one of the things um, that's just tricky. The longer it's kind of... you can stretch it out, the right. more that, that fat and the, 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 what, what is that? The sinew? The, the con- yeah, the connective tissue, connective the sinew, tissue. all that stuff. Because, you know, short that will ribs render are... out and be very soft. And that's what makes yeah. that particular dish amazing is that it it's just you can eat all of it right off the, the pieces of bone. It's amazing. Yeah, and people love that part, those little kind of chewy bits and stuff like that. It's, you know, and... Um, totally. But you have to cook it right because people see it as a thin slice of meat and they just flash it on the grill. Like, and it's, if you can, the longer kind of you can cook it, but still get that char is uh, the way to go. I know that Justin has perfected, is my nephew. He he's perfected. using a smoker though. So he's, his is a different setup than, yeah, you know, for- and, and the, the big green egg is different than say a Weber where it's not going to hold his heat as much. Right. So, you got to the- know what you're working with. Yeah, you need to know basically where your hotspots are, basically what the... I mean, like literally my favorite tool in the kitchen is a Fluke infrared digital thermometer that you can just point at things and it tells you the temperature. And (laughs) I cannot tell you, I use that thing every single day I'm in the kitchen. Like there is not a time that I am not checking the floor, the pizza oven, the temperature of the grill, the roof of the grill, the cat's nose. It's worth getting. How much is it? How much is one of those uh, things? They vary. It's going to be like a hundred, hundred fifty bucks. But yeah, I mean, it's a little expensive, but it's, it's really a technical like... instrument, and it will last you the rest of your life. Like it will seriously last for ten or twenty years. It's super well made. Yeah, I mean, knowing the temperature is really key because you know your oven says it's three fifty. It may it's totally not three fifty unless you know it's calibrated. You know, and just like just knowing the temperature of when you're working with stuff, chocolate, sauces, pizza dough, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, th- temperature is really key, and then. Talk about that steak method because I know that people are oh, always Eisenhower. very curious about it. Yeah, and you're going to be doing this on your um, upcoming trip, your moto trip. Yeah, I mean, I had heard about this, I think, from my father. Um, it's called Steak Eisenhower, and it's essentially you take the the steak and then you just throw it onto a bed of coals. And it sounds like a party trick, and I think that that's kind of what I thought it was at first. And I just thought, well, that seems 
crazy. Like if you put a steak on the coals, the fat's going to come off and it's going to flame up and it's going to become this charred. Um, you or it's going to be covered in ash. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like... so it is. And, and now that I've done it, I've kind of come around to the point where I do feel like I think this is the single best way of making steak. There's something incredibly magical about how primitive and perfect this method of cooking is. And when you think that like, this is literally like as far back as the time that we first threw a mammoth steak on a piece of, you know, on a fire, like that's kind of exactly what this is. And it, it is amazing. So you, so basically what it is, is that you take the steak, season it, of course, heavy salt and pepper, and then you're going to need a bed of charcoal and you can't Wood use charcoal. briquettes yeah you cannot use briquettes at all um you can't use softwoods because they're going to have too much sap there they don't burn as clean you really mm -hmm. want you know like a hickory and oak yeah you need a hardwood and you basically get the fire going you get your coals going when you have a whole bunch of coals um, I usually like to take a tamper and sort of like a spatula and I'll pat all the coals down and try and get them as flat and even as possible. And what I have discovered is that because you cannot really control the temperature of this, it's basically you're putting the steak directly on top of the coals. The way that you kind of control the doneness is by how thick, um, the steak is. So if it's an inch thick, you're going to have like a medium steak because you're going to be like four minutes aside or something, which seems like a lot, but um, it's, it's not because the steak actually is sitting on the bed of coals. There's no room for oxygen and it doesn't flame up. And because of this, um, nothing, nothing sticks. As long as you leave it on long enough, when you pick it up, there might be a couple of like errant pieces of charcoal that you can just brush off but it, it nothing sticks because my artifact it's it's um crusted over and then you you flip the steak and you cook the other side and because no air gets in it doesn't flame up and it's on top of the coals so it gets this super really deep uh smoky sort of a flavor on the crust and um the heat's slow to penetrate because it's in direct contact it, you know it's all um i don't know what is that convection um conduction i guess would be the method dave this is a question for you mm -hmm. um phone in phone in an expert <laughs> i, I want to call a friend <laughs> yes. um yeah so and so it's it's an amazing way to to make steak and the fact that you don't have to have a grill so yeah it's certainly uh, minimal i mean it's it seems like the perfect thing to do on a motorcycle trip <laughs> and i think there's something kind of magical about making a really good meal on the fire and so we would take the baked potatoes and wrap them in foil but before we do like cover them in olive oil salt punch a bunch of holes in them and then wrap them and then you bury those on the outskirts of the fire maybe turn them once but they're going to sit in there for like 45 minutes to you know an hour depending on the coals and so the thing about the potatoes is that they have this really um, crunchy shell, and which is amazing to be able to eat, but the inside's really fluffy. A and then, you know, while that's happening, you know, we cook some vegetables and it's, it's, a, it's a super simple meal. It's just potatoes, steak, green beans, and yet it's done so well in terms of like the, 
the execution and you get to see it happen on the fire that's just right. an amazing experience and well you're going to be in cattle country i mean eastern oregon so much of the amazing grass-fed beef is all out it's all ranchers out there so hopefully you'll be able to get some good local beef you know? it's one of my goals is to is to um support all of the small mom and pop so like we're gonna stay at the french glen hotel we're gonna have lunch at field station um field station so what do you get when you're at field station i the love milkshakes the best oh milkshakes in all of oregon you know google it if you've never been to field station a it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere population i don't know six or something like that but um it's worth it best milkshakes amazing <laughs> huckleberry yeah. milkshakes too that's my favorite and I think that's one of the things that um, I find like I part of that no chain thing is is like when you're in Eastern Oregon and I, we didn't even notice or I didn't notice at first when we were doing this trip, but we kept running into towns where there was basically like, you know, one business, one restaurant and one gas pump. And Mitchell was one of these towns. Um, that's a town right outside of the Painted Hills. The Painted Hills, yeah. And it's it's amazing little town. It has an actual working phone booth. But uh, Field Station, you know, one gas pump, one restaurant, one hotel. Um, same thing with or, uh, Fields French Glen. Field Station is the same. And the funny thing is, is these are really small places, but they're, they're making all their own food. You're not getting preformed burgers or anything. Mm -hmm. And it's... Like it's very basic, but like you get an amazing burger and fries at these places and it's all handmade, you know, and it's to me, that's a really amazing thing. You're supporting some really tiny little place and you're getting really well cooked homemade food. And I will absolutely take an authentic homemade meal like that any day over like a fancy restaurant. It's I've had so much fancy food and I'm just, I love something super honest and authentic. That's true. You've had too much fancy food hanging out with me, but oh my God. <laughs> that's all of New York. When we I live tell there. people, cause you know, people will be like, I'll be at some food event. Where's Gregor? I'm like, he don't like this kind of food. And they're like, Not what? That I don't like it. There's plenty of people that are doing really good stuff. I just, uh, food is gymnastics or performance art is not my thing. And I appreciate that there's some crazy, really crazy stuff. And I love watching Top Chef, but um, I really prefer rustic, hearty, honest, simple mm -hmm. food. That's, I, yeah, I when I first absolutely... met you, I think you choked down a lot of baby octopuses just to make me happy. Yeah. And then I found true. out later that you don't like seafood. <laughs> and now you tell people that you're Fish. allergic to it because you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> That's right. You, this is like, it's embarrassing. It's like, you don't want to, especially if, you know, I'm with you, it's just like, yeah, I'm that guy that doesn't want to eat uni or something like right, that. So. Yeah. Well, I know because it's okay if you're allergic to it, but okay. Right, so if you people want to, so A, you got to be able to ride a motorcycle fairly well to go on a trip like this. So it's not just such as, you know, but. Uh, not not they, pure beginner, but, you know, sort of beginner to intermediate is going to be the range. Right. There's I'm, riding, but there's adventure, but, you know, they're, obviously they're going to improve their skills. But yeah, you're I'm going to be doing teaching as well. So yeah. I think that's one of the things that no matter what level you come in at, like I've, I've raced, I've been a professional rider, I've been a stunt rider. And so 
one of the things that I will be doing is sort of helping people every day with a few exercises that are going to make it easier for them mm -hmm. to ride. And so. you'll be photographing them, right? Because, you know, one of yep. those things about you do this epic adventure, you want to be have bragging rights when your grandpa sitting in your chair, have your have your grandkids going, oh, dude, dad did this this trip in Eastern Oregon and look at him. He's the sunset behind him. So you want to be able to document it. So you're going to provide everyone with documentation of their little adventure too, right? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously that's, if we didn't even cover that, I don't know. That's what I do. I'm a photographer and that's how Judy Ann and I met through Johnny uh, Uzzini. So um, that is the sort of thing I'm going to bring because a lot of my clients are motorcycle related. I do lots of photo shoots. I do a lot of that. And so um, for me, I can't put a camera down. I'm always shooting. And if we're on this trip, I'm going to document the whole trip and I, you know, I'll make beautiful photographs. It's going to be a lot of fun. And at the end of that, like you will get a coffee table book that will kind of document the entire trip and all of the things that we saw and did. And it's sort of, um, it's a way of me taking care of all of the details. Like you don't have to take pictures because I got that covered. And it's right, gonna you're going to be way nicer than the pictures that you're going to take with your iPhone. <laughs> well, and also a shout out to Scott Rounds, who is helping me because he is also an amazing photographer. And, uh, and yeah, there'll be two cameras. Is, yeah, he is as good a photographer as I am. And he is a way better motorcyclist than I am. He's a better rider racer. So it's a very high talent trip and there's going to be a lot of fun to right. to be had. And it's going to the pictures will be amazing because um, both of us are going to shoot it. When is this happening now? If anybody's interested, October 9th to what is it? The 17th. It's like a whole week there. Yeah. And so, and then they, where do they go for information? They On go to website? Yeah, my new website, which is Saku S A K U dash moto, uh, M A M O T O.com. And, um, nice yeah, logo can, by the way, that's my brother. Uh, Sasha. Sasha Helenda, who also created the logo for Food People are the best people. <laughs> He's so talented. That? No, he, I mean, I can, I can tell his style. What do you mean? He he can morph his style to anybody. I mean, he's used. Yeah, but it's always clean. It, the, the color choices, the he's tones. Clearly Everybody the most has a talented language. person in the family. No, <laughs> ah, no question. No if anybody question. needs a really good graphic designer, he's amazing. I've worked with him for years um, on all sorts of projects. Form 5, based in Salida, Colorado. Uh, a little shout out to another Helenda. Oh, well, I mean, this is, um, and then I wanted to ask you about tools because you're just, you're a big tool guy in general. And what would you call that? Like a gearhead. You make stuff, you build stuff, you did it. I mean, when we made, um, I joke that like when you, we talked about ramen, right? So Gregor made um, homemade ramen and noodles and homemade ramen noodles are not They're, the easiest thing to make. And he broke my kitchen aid. Yeah, that was, a, that was, yeah, that was... But I, I don't want to work. Garage, retooled the part that he broke, and then fixed the, and then and proceeded to finish making the ramen noodles. Yeah. Um, so besides the tools that you're making yourself, uh, what what are your favorite kitchen tools? Well, oh, besides mean, the thermometer, you mentioned the thermometer. Yeah, I I mean, I think, gosh, I mean a knife. That's honestly, there's like so little in terms of. And my grandfather was a full on like 
kitchen gadget guy. Like he had the things that would chop eggs up into little slices. And oh yeah, he loved know, the, the gadgets. Oh, the, the, the you know the things that really had one purpose. Like you know, you just it's the things that you kind of see those infomercials about, like the the da 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 can slice and dice and do da da. You know, like those kind of things. That was my grandfather. He fell uh, for every late night you know, Ronco ad. I, I think for me, um, you know, a, a good set of tongs, a really good, like a, like a spatula or, a, or some sort of a, a thing like that. Um, the stainless bowls, like the super simple stuff, but honestly the single most important thing, and it definitely falls into my category of like tools and buying the absolute like best that you can, um, would be knives. And, um, and maybe not even so much the knives, but the um, the fact that I invested like hundreds of dollars into a sharpening system that um, will put a razor's edge onto every single knife in the house. And that would be absolutely like the, the thing that I am right. most. What do you think about that new Steelport knife that we got? It's a Portland made hand forged uh knife that we were, we were gifted and we've been using it and it's held its... It's edge. seriously the best knife we have, not yeah. even by a short way. It's like by a mile. That thing, I haven't had to touch it up yet, and it's gone right. almost like two months, and it is an amazing steel. It hasn't discolored, but it's a high carbon. Um, the hardness is really good, but unlike like the Shun or the the you know the the Kramer, not the real Kramer, obviously. Um, but like those knives have chipped, like their hardness is good, but they don't have enough ductility to last. Like this knife has absolutely held an edge and the blade has been fantastic. It's, it is the single best knife we own by a yeah, long stretch. Look it up. It's steel ports made right here in Portland, Oregon. I've been really impressed with it. If you, if you know a, a knife person, um, It'd be, a really, it'd be a really nice gift to give them. <laughs> it's not even that much, is it? I mean, I mean, it's expensive, but it's not like, you know, some crazy Japanese knife. So it's, you know, it's definitely what, but it, it's, it's, uh, the chef knife is like the kind of the all purpose knife. So it can do just about anything. Um, so it has a lot of purpose. So it's, it's a good investment to have because if, you know, somebody was going to build up their collection, this would serve as their, their main knife. So. You don't need a collection. You need three knives. You need a paring knife, some sort of a breaded or a bread or like a serrated knife of some kind, and then a chef's knife, like eight I to know. 10 inches. That's all you need, really. And put all your money into the chef's knife. Yeah, that's true. Although I had that little tomato knife and I loved that so much. Remember the little tomato knife? It was a tiny serrated knife that had like a kind of an angle to it. <laughs> we've, we've sharpened it enough times that we've lost the serrations. No, it's just, learned... That was just a sharp knife. <laughs> well, no, I've learned the trick. It's like when I sharpen that knife, I do it at a super steep angle. I'm like 15 degrees and I use um, the 100 grit stone. So it, it, for this particular sharpening, the wicked edge, that's pretty coarse. And so by having a really coarse blade um that actually creates a lot of tooth which acts as micro serrations and then it is perfect for cutting tomatoes which have such a tough skin that unless you have a knife that has some bite to it you know you could have a knife that will shave but it won't always cut a tomato because they have such a tough and resilient skin so right yeah. gregor likes to walk around the house and shave his arms in front of people just to show off how sharp the knives are so. <laughs> 
They're yeah, deadly. My whole body, really. I just, <laughs> I'll just do the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, uh, I have taken off a few uh, nail nails from shopping too fast. So anyway, um, I don't know. Well, that's it, Gregor. You know, we filled up our hour. You said I don't know what we're going to talk about for a whole hour. You know. Really? <laughs> so. It's amazing. I know. Well, anyway, this is episode 18. Food people are the best people. Thank you, Gregor, for coming on the show. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.